Welcome to the Rainbow Bull with Tim Volk from T. Volk and Company Consulting. In this podcast, Tim, a proud member of the LGBTQ community, discusses a range of topics around the five capitals of a flourishing family, human, intellectual, social, spiritual, and financial capital. Tim will use this framework as he and his guest experts delve into the secrets of the wealthy and how we might learn from them. So let's get started on this exciting adventure together. Why shouldn't same-sex couples plan a path forward for their wealth? You need advice as much as anyone else. So get with it and learn from advisors who share your life outlook. Tim Volk knows someone. Yeah, Tim, tell us about Ben Galloway. So Ben and I've met and become friends over the, oh, I don't know, last year or so, right? I mean, you had read one of the papers I wrote and listened to the webinar we wrote on serving non-binary families, how to best serve the LGBTQ community, also known as non-binary. And uh, Ben is a senior financial advisor uh, as part of Greenspring's private client group. And his practice focuses on serving, you know, through financial planning, business owners, executives, and things that are related to sudden wealth or intergenerational wealth transfers, meaning inheritance or how people pass their money forward. He also specializes in in same-sex couples, is a member of the LGBTQ community, which I think is wonderful, and he's out and proud. So it's always fun to have people who are willing to speak to the community directly from first person. And I'm very excited that you're here. Welcome. Thanks, Tim. Very glad to be here today. You know, we've uh, spent a lot of time talking, and you and I were both talking about how it's kind of geeky, nerdy stuff to talk about financial planning, because most people's eyes are going to roll back over their head and go, oh, really? But I think it's such an interesting thing to create a path for people, you know, a path forward. Uh, It gives peace of mind. It uh, is valuable for families to have objective advice at all levels. And you you have a roadmap, it helps everybody stay on point. I think it's always interesting, the clients, when uh, when I've worked with my advisory firms that are financial planners and we've worked in their systems, I always find it fun to listen to the client meetings and the clients focus on their number. You know, if they're green light or yellow light or red light, if they're good, if they're saving enough, if they're on plan, and they get very into it. I just smile. Yeah, yeah. Look, talking about finance is never a fun conversation to have. It's not usually a very exciting or sexy topic, but it certainly impacts everybody at some point in their life. So, and whether you're ready or not. And so it is pivotal to have conversations early and often in a relatable way. And it touches us in different ways. We all come to the table with different experiences. So if there's a way we can uh, have these conversations and promote better financial literacy and, and, and a safe environment to ask questions and mm-hmm. to know what our options are moving forward. Ultimately, it puts people in a great position. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I was listening to your podcast last week and Jill said something really interesting that I loved. She said that money's a magnifier and a tool. And I think it's so true. Again, it's something that really can be used. It's not something to be feared, but we, we all, uh, Really, we can't hand over the reins to anybody else when it comes to personal <laughs> finance. Uh, and, and, and as much as we may like to, uh, and maybe some of the reasons why I myself got into it, it's important that we can learn how to control what we can control 
and get uh, get great advice along the way and great guidance along the way. Well, I think it's all like the whole conversation with Jill about the relationship with money. It's just, it's a difficult thing. I think people are more likely to talk about sex than money, their money. And it's really funny because they don't want to talk about sex. So no. <laughs> uh, I just think that puts it into perspective. But I really, you know, the more I got to know about you, I really would like you to give us your background because you've got an interesting personal story that's led you to the work you're doing. You were sure you were born and raised in Baltimore, born and raised in Baltimore. I'm first generation Baltimore. My parents went to high school together in upstate New York and Albany and uh, came down here for work. And Baltimore was a, a, a growing hub between D.C. and New York. And we stayed here ever since. The oldest of three, I have a younger brother and a younger sister. And uh, yeah, I've been here ever since. The I always think of Hairspray. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking of the Broadway <laughs> I li- show right, and movie I li- Hairspray. Good morning, Baltimore. Right. I live like, 15 minutes from that from, from that area. Yeah, yeah. Very close. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Born and raised this area. Um, I uh, I went to school in the Midwest. I, I, I was an athlete and an academic. Uh, really mm-hmm. came from a pretty competitive environment. Uh, I was the oldest. And so there's a lot of expectation to, to succeed and achieve. Uh, I saw that around me that was an appealing path and i ultimately found myself at the university of notre dame and graduated with a degree in business and wow yeah yeah that's kind of how i got started and then and then ultimately and, and there's con- another cons- little and yeah 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 and uh considered a path to the priesthood actually uh to be a catholic priest uh i had been in catholic school forever and there is you know i think i hate to say it it's very i i could i, I can sense a lot of relatability with other people who are gay who are feeling a sense of out of being out of control with something that is uh maybe seen as different and not good quote unquote um so the priesthood was a path for me that was uh it was a way to follow rules it was tradition and uh and and a system that to me felt very comfortable i felt comfortable with rules felt comfortable with you know with with tradition that that was very appealing to me and ultimately i grew up catholic so the the values and the teachings really resonated with me but i i realized you know with a little bit of perspective that i was probably not addressing some some pretty significant aspects of who i was personally uh and was running towards something that i was possibly able to hide so of course we've seen oh, major wow. major issues there too but um i grew, so, I grew so up I lds of, I, did yeah, you know that right. I grew up LDS? Which I, I, I didn't know. I that. always think <clears throat> my friends are a Catholic. At least it was fun because they had all the beauty and pomp and circumstance and guilt and you know music. It's the choir. It's just but the Mormon Church is very austere compare mm-hmm. in comparison. Mm-hmm. So you had a lot of beauty in the you know especially the funerals. Oh my gosh! Yeah, 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 yeah. There's there was a lot of uh, a lot of grandeur mm-hmm. and. And ritual, I think the the, the aspect the of a ritual yeah. was was comforting. And when I felt very out of control, I felt like I could lean into this area that felt pretty secure and, and, and straightforward. Um, well, I think the the rituals actually are very powerful for you, a very powerful tool for the families. 
So my friends that are, are Catholic or Jewish, the rituals are very deep and rich. And there's other religions that have deep ritual. But I, I'm familiar with those two because I, I grew up with friends on both of those. And uh, I feel as though the ritual provides, you know, a way to celebrate the different stages in life and to acknowledge the accomplishment and the growth of a person into adulthood. Yep. And that part of it is where I think, you know, that it's been wonderful. I, I think there's been a lot of issues, but the idea of you being the priest is kind of fun. I like that idea. Yeah. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a path that I was considering ultimately not the right path for me, but I think there are aspects of it that I've certainly carried into my, into my role as a, as a certified financial planner. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. The, and the, but before the financial planning, you weren't going right into financial planning when you got out, when you decided not to be a priest, you decided you might be a doctor. Well, uh, close. I, I had a, I had a little bit of a background in medicine. I started off in college in pre-med and really loved loved medicine. Wow. Um, ultimately got out of that. Really the only thing I like to say, I, I graduated with my degree through process of elimination. <laughs> I did everything. I, I did everything under the sun except engineering. Wow. Uh, so it, it was graphic design, business, uh, finance, religious studies, um, architecture, uh, and then ultimately had a stint in an acting class that ultimately took me nearly out of the country, but had an internship uh, with Jimmy Kimmel right after college, which was really exciting. <laughs> yeah. And if you go back in the history books, you can see that I'm on TV. So I have made my appearance in front of the camera before. So we have um, a celebrity in the middle. <laughs> I mean, you you do never know. Anything could happen these days. Uh, <laughs> well, Patrice and I yeah, didn't I did. even know. I did start at a startup uh, that went public here in Baltimore in uh, mobile advertising. Kind of realized that that probably wasn't the the path for me, but it was an exciting route to take. And then got into medical device sales in the trauma space, specifically in orthopedics. So I was in the operating room advising surgeons and the tech staff and the nurses on uh, trauma surgeries and joint replacement surgeries, ultimately at our top two hospitals, Johns Hopkins and University of Maryland shock trauma. So it was really intense. It was stressful. Obviously, you've got lives on the line, literally. And I loved every bit of it. I loved, I loved the intensity. I loved the medicine. Um, I thought it was fascinating. But ultimately, similarly, I, I, I didn't quite have the impact I foresaw. Wanting to myself. have. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's that's ultimately what, kind of what led me into the world of advisory. I think you're as I as you talk about it, it actually kind of makes sense. I think there was this calling that you felt of wanting yep. to help others and you were searching yep. for the right platform. Well, yeah, I was searching. I think that's yeah. very commendable. Yeah, thanks. I think it was um you know, there were some pivotal moments when I was there, when I was in medical device and really specifically a moment that sticks out to me was when I was entering the hospital, I had to pass the waiting rooms and near at shock trauma, you're hearing car accidents, gunshots, knife fights. I mean, you're hearing some of the worst traumatic injuries that are changing people's lives in an right. instant. And I was seeing the doctors speak to the families and breaking hearts as I was walking past to surgery and, you know, watching organ donors, watching, um, 
again, lives just change again, change in an instant. I realized that these people were about to begin a new life that they were not prepared for. And I wondered who was around them to support them in these big decisions that they were ultimately going to be faced with. So especially financially. And you had your parent, you noticed your parents had great advisors that must, that is that piqued your interest? Is that how it kind of yeah. noticed? Yeah. I mean, that was, that was kind of a less uh, severe uh, <laughs> experience, you know, than, uh, than, than the, the trauma center uh, yeah. specifically, but, but yeah, my parents worked with an advisor gr- when I was growing up and that advisor included me in some of the meetings and I didn't know what was going on. Really. I had no context of what's going on, but I felt like it was really valuable that one, my parents were willing to include me in some of those conversations early mm-hmm. and also that they were getting great objective advice as well while they were making some of their biggest decisions in their thirties and forties with, you know, young kids, uh, as well. We were, I was one of those geeks that read the wall street journal from the age of 12 or 13 every day, still get it every day, still read it. And, uh, one of my friends from high school, she said once, Tim, do you remember, you know, we have so much in common and I'm like, why? And she goes, because I read the Wall Street every day. And I said, oh. And she said, don't you remember? You were the only person in the school that read the Wall Street every day. And I was like, oh, my God, I did that in junior high and high school. I was like flashbacks. And then they're like, you know, and then I'm like, she's also I, I really be, I became financially independent because I paid attention and I invested well. And you got me very focused on that. And she was one of the people that would hang out outside the smoke. We, you know, I don't know what we used to call them, like the druggies or something. And <laughs> I said, well, Jackie, what did you do with your life? And she says, well, I, I'm an ele- uh, electrical engineer. I designed the electrical systems for the space shuttle and the F-16s wow. and sliders. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm in, she picked I'm up in, a lot I'm from in, the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, then. I'm in the <laughs> financial services world. I don't think I've done quite anything that. Well, I take a little funny. credit in the positive there, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you decided no, to make you, this pivot, right? You pivoted. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I pivoted. And it's funny how even what you just said about your friend, Jackie, there are small moments that are pivotal when we think about kind of our history with our own finances. Mm-hmm. Our, again, something that Jill mentioned is that we all have our own money history. And, and these are these are the moments that we remember that are also very formative in how we make decisions throughout the course of our life, for better or for worse, financially, either we may continue in that in that path or may divert completely uh, and go in an opposite direction. These were conversations that were important to me. I saw my parents having, and it was not a divisive conversation between them. It was something mm-hmm. that really brought them closer together and provided a lot of humility and compassion between them as they made decisions for their family. But I also realized my own experience in that. I didn't enjoy this stuff. I really didn't. Finance and accounting were some of my least favorite classes in college. And I didn't do that well in them. But here's the, I just, I didn't have any context. And I think that's one of the biggest factors here is we have very, we are, we are looking through our own Kind of microscope at different things. It's very hard to pull back a thirty thousand foot view, understand how how we fit in the world, but how we have to manage our own money yep. and and why. Yep. The, the, looking right. looking twenty thirty years down the line, it's very is, hard. 
so much harder yeah. than to say, what do I need to do to keep the lights on tonight right. or food on the table tonight? That's right. And anything else is a little less urgent. Well, I think until the, something the, happens, you know, until something of, pivotal happens. Right. The, the idea of the path, creating the path, creating your own story. And there's, I, I've written about uh, recently, I wrote an article on DEI. Uh, for family offices in one of their journals. And we talked about uh, Jackie Merrill, one of my friends who she and Jay Hughes and uh, Johnny Bronfman wrote a paper 20 some years ago about fiscal inequality. But the exercise at the end I really liked is about creating our own mission individually for life, our vision and mission in our life. And then as a couple, if you're, mm -hmm. if you're in a relationship mm -hmm. with that other person. And uh, I think that concept is what we do in financial planning. And obviously we could broaden it to life goals, you know, right, in addition right. to that, because that's what people start to think about. But getting people to think down that path is difficult. I wanted to transition just to the rest of your background is just <laughs> you're coming out, you're gay. I always think it's always funny when you get the question, you know, when did you know you were gay? Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's hard to know what the time was when I didn't really know what that word meant when I was having the feelings, right? Okay. You don't really know how to define some of these feelings you're having yep. young, right? I mean, ask anybody who's straight too. I mean, when were they starting to feel feelings for people? It could have been right. flirt flirtatious, you know, looks at somebody in school and they didn't really know what that was meaning. You know, yeah. I guess I could have probably looked back at some of those things, but really it was not, um, it was not something I was ready for. Uh, really to, to really face. Again, I, I kind of have my blinders on. I grew up in, in Catholic school in a rigorous competitive environment and being and down different. focused. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, I loved where I went to school. I loved all the places I went to school. I learned a ton. I have great relationships from them. I wouldn't change that at all. My story worked for me. And when I came out, I was ready. I would not have been ready earlier. And a lot of people feel differently. They came out way earlier than I did. I didn't come out until I was 24, about a year after college. Wow. That's not yeah. that late, do you think? I mean, I mean, I, I, versus our friends, I guess, that came out at 16 or 17 or 18, but I, I didn't have yeah. a clue. Yeah, I, I mean, knew I, I liked, I, but I didn't no, I yeah, I mean, I was so afraid to even say that out loud or to even acknowledge that to myself. So I really didn't. I had my blinders on. And again, I wanted to focus on what I could control, which was academics, athletics, and my achievement there. I felt like no one yeah. could look at me and say, oh, you're different in this way. And that's bad. You know, I didn't want that. I was so worried that and, and in my head, that was the, that was the mindset was. Right. Well, it's it's very common. It's, it's it actually very common amongst LGBTQ uh, community as we're younger. We're we're so worried about having the conversation that we don't want to have, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. About first, being first gay. with ourselves, first with ourselves, right? First yeah. with ourselves, and then to um, then have it discussed with other people. We go out of our way to excel in academics, to excel in uh, sports, to to mm -hmm. be a top athlete. And to be a top, whatever you dress yeah. better, you're funnier, charming, um, perfectly fit body, beautiful body, beautiful fit, everything, everything's perfect. Although I think that that becomes a unattainable 
standard, but it does motivate us at a young age. It does provide a great impetus, I think. Yeah, right. I mean, it's 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 not uncommon, like you said, but it is it's extremely stressful to uh, to 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 try to distract people by not looking at this about kind of who you are down deep, because Mm -hmm. that. You know, I, I I felt like I was so worried that my value and success hinged not on my uniqueness, but really on my sameness, which is, you know, I, I, 10 years out of college at this point, I have a lot more clarity than I, than I did mm-hmm. when I was, than even 10 years prior before, 20 years ago, you know, when I felt like right. everyone's looking at me and and they're going to make fun of me for being different. And so what I need to do is blend in. And that was what I tried to do. And now I look back and I, I am encouraged and inspired by those who lean into their uniqueness, especially right. if they know who they are at a younger age. Sure. Um, I just didn't have that example. I didn't feel like but, I had somebody that looked like me. What no, I, I, I don't think you're alone in that either. Yeah, I think. No, right. And I, and then I think we face a lot of our own criticism, our own self-talk. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And I don't think I don't think I've met a gay man that has great great self-esteem all the time. I think there's always people that are questioning our self-esteem, and I'm sure mm-hmm. that's not just the LGBTQ community. I think it's a, a broader uh, part totally. of the world. But 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 I think if we bring it back to why is financial planning important for the LGBTQ community? Because you're passionate about that. You and I share that passion. And I just wanted you to kind of hit the highlights. I know you had a couple <laughs> stats here. Could you give us yeah. a couple little highlights as to why you think it's important? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the importance of financial planning. I mean, planning in general for anybody is going to be important. That's right. And I would love I would love to be able to speak to everybody. And the larger audience I can speak to, the better. That's great. But I know what it feels like to be part of the LGBTQ community. And so I can speak to that experience better and and the unique needs that that exist. And it's wonderful that marriage equality exists now and that uh, discrimination within employment benefits is is now eliminated as well. That's really positive, but that doesn't mean that there aren't still very specific challenges to our community. Mm. And and it's not to be ignored. The LGBTQ community represents 10% of the American population that is 33% million people which is insane to think about right. and uh and there's this thing called you know that 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 your listeners might have might have heard about but but this concept of pink money which That's is the right. idea of 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 the purchasing power of the global lgbtq community which is nearly four trillion dollars uh mm-hmm. globally now within the u.s that's that's around one and a half trillion again incredibly substantial this is nothing to balk at there's a massive business case to be paying attention to our community now as it relates to personal finance people have some i, I hear three like three things that i think are going to be really important okay. for people to be thinking about it's okay. going to be that peace of mind is top of mind and people want their time back they want to feel like they've got someone they can lean on. And ultimately, some of the biggest concerns are also some of our biggest priorities. So okay. that, that could be, you know, so this, so that's, that's really one where it, where it's, it's providing this peace of mind. Peace we, of mind we, and we, top we, of mind. I like that. Let's leave that. Peace of mind. What's number mind. two? What's number two? 
Number two is that we face some steep financial barriers mm. that others others don't. And that could be starting a family. I mean, the cost of starting a family, if you're con- conservatively, you're looking at about $250,000 from the jump. That could be surrogacy costs, gestational carriers, insurance, um, salaries, the uh, yep. hospital visits. And then in addition to egg donors, and if you are then considering foster care or adoption, there are massive hurdles. So starting right. a family is a massive financial component to be thinking about. The other one, retirement and caregiving for LGBTQ folks is often much higher. There's a study from from Sage uh, USA that came out that said LGBTQ people, they're twice as likely to live alone in senior years which promotes this idea of social isolation epidemic of loss, which is terrible. And I want to say that again, twice as likely to live alone, half as likely to have a partner, and four times less likely to have adult children. I mean, they are, it is a completely different outlook for people in the LGBTQ community than what you may expect for those we may see around us who have children, who have a partner or a spouse, not even to mention the discrimination that that LGBTQ folks could see in assisted care facilities. Oh, my God. We talked about it with Arden O'Connor in that episode, you remember, a couple months ago, where it's a big issue. And we don't have very many that are LGBTQ approved. I know that there's been an index. Uh, Sage is really working hard to try and... and, uh, turn the tide i'm on a new committee where we're creating the concept is called the legacy project and uh, i'm hoping we get you involved and it's the idea to help advisors around the country and 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 lgbtq wealth owners to help create legacy in their giving into a larger bucket that can then be filtered to the 100 or 200 lgbtq um, nonprofits around the country that serve the community. But the primary emphasis is also on our aging because it's a huge, huge problem. So it's a huge problem, financial, yeah. I think financial planning in general, one of the things you and I would talk about is that one of the barriers that's part of this for successful financial planning is the long-term care and the ability to be able to afford that. So I think financial planning is a critical st- part of that i mean i think if we don't have that plan for it could be disaster it could Um, be and and especially outside of financial planning the estate planning is really important equally if not more important than where you how you manage your current assets it's what happens if something happens to you and your and the state is deciding what happens to your you need to make sure you decide what goes on yeah yeah really it really does yeah, and really bulletproofing that and, and making mm-hmm. sure that there are you are working with an attorney, um, with a, a CPA team, an accountant, and, and an advisory team that understands those nuances and that they're all working together on your behalf because there are circumstances that need to be accounted for. Um, and they really, they really can't be ignored. I noticed that we talked about that the LGBTQ community is less likely to use the financial planning tools. Uh, retirement, yeah. non-retirement savings. Uh, we, you and I both talked about the life insurance, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm now becoming. Uh, I've, bec- I've I've been in insurance on and off my whole life, but I 
recently over the last couple of years have learned that the insurance industry has pivoted and created the ability to have long-term care riders on your life insurance where you can use the death benefit for long-term care. It, it also gets referenced as um, a terminal illness or critical illness, but it really has really become a better way to access long-term care insurance and a hybrid life insurance policy than it is to buy the standalone. But you can still buy the standalone, and sometimes they offer it as group coverage in your benefit package, which is, mm-hmm. again, mm-hmm. but I I really believe that we're, I just found it interesting when you say that we're not as likely to access all these tools. Hey, hey, sorry for the interruption. Look, I know you're listening to the Rainbow Bull podcast, and I'm really happy you're here. But if you have any questions or issues you'd like to have us discuss with the experts, please email them to us at tim.volk at tvolkco.com. We would love to hear from you. Right, 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 right. And you make a great point there on different kinds of options. You know, one of the things we want to make sure people are aware of is that they know what their options are before they feel that they're backed into a corner or forced to make a decision. Mm. We often make not the most ideal decision when we are making hastily decisions. You know, I, you know, when, when we're kind of backed into a corner, we often don't make the best decisions. That's right. So if we can plan accordingly, right. know what the options are, and whether it's insurance, whether it's different kinds of investment vehicles, and, and right. whatever that may look like. Idling uh, the assets, are, estate planning part of it. Yes, right. That's what, Yeah, there are a lot of tools to use. And so again, you don't have to know what they all are, but it's, it's helpful to set some micro goals to say, I'm going to at least set the meeting, or I'm going to look into these things and, and have these mile markers kind of checked off on your own calendar. Uh, it really can help you block and tackle really well. So, but you make a great point too about the how we're less likely to use the, the financial planning tools. The the debt free guys uh, who also on the Queer Money podcast ran a study with the Motley Fool, um, and they've gathered incredible data that has otherwise really not been made available or present or or really measured. And some of the things they found were less likely to use financial planning tools including retirement, non-retirement accounts, insurance, and estate planning. Second, we're more likely to have debt from non-appreciating assets. That's student loans, credit cards, personal loans, which often are more financially burdensome versus debt that can generate wealth uh, or debt for appreciating appreciating assets like a mortgage. Again, much of that comes down to lifestyle. So we have to be mindful of that. I think our friends over it, and I want to do shout out to the debt free money guys who uh, have the queer money podcast, right? And they are really about being debt free. And they're really about everybody being financially stable, but they're really focused on the gay community because the LGBTQ community and forgive me, you guys, sometimes I, I interchange that just for simplicity, but I don't mean to any, any uh, leaving anybody out. But the the idea would be that we're there's a Christian network that is doing a very good job through the various religious institutions to help create financial stability in their members and to help them then put money aside and invest it. And then some of that money gets donated into a larger pool that are, and there's a group of Christian advisors. I think it's called the Kingdom Advisory Network, right? Yes. 
And they are also funding a lot of the anti-LGBTQ legislation and candidates from all levels, from mm. city councils to to state to national scene. So mm. but the concept we've been talking about amongst the group is to create this a rainbow net- network of advisors that we know that are LGBTQ, just to help our community and to speak to us in a more relatable way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a great idea. Again, there's a lot of PTSD that that we bring to the table. Again, I, yeah. a lot of people do also who are not LGBTQ plus, but but sp- again, directly speaking to our community, you know, mm-hmm. uh, LGBTQ and our people, allies and our allies, yes, and our, our allies, allies, right? Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it, there's there's a lot of there's a lot we bring to the that we bring to the table that has impacted how we've made decisions so far. We risk losing those that we love the most at, at the precise time that we're ready to be most vulnerable. That's I mean, it is incredibly, it's, it's so significant. So if we can align with people who understand that, that can say, I hear you, I know where you're coming from, and let's start working on these things together. Um, it's going to be really important. Again, the best day to start would have been yesterday. The second best is today, you know, and it doesn't have to all be done at never once. There's late. no way it can, and there's no way it can be. Exactly. It's never too late. Um, and it's one of the best gifts you can give yourself and those that you love. I think um, Patrice has got a good question. Is the LGBTQ community reluctant to go to an advisor because they're afraid of having to talk about their lifestyle? And I, I think specifically that's what we're saying, right? I think that is, we're really mm-hmm. calling it out. You and I are willing to say, look, we want to serve yeah. all of our clients and we will work very hard to serve all of our clients. Yeah, yeah. But I do think that there's a bit of an EQ element here, the emotional quotient that we are a little more attuned to than some others because of what we, what the, what you just termed as like the trauma or PSDD that we have bringing to the table. So we're, yeah, maybe we're just open to hearing people's stories, their fears, their frustration. I don't know. Yeah. Or, or I don't want to have to tell you some of the things that I've gone through because I, I just want to talk to somebody because I'm already going to talk to you about heavy things already. My finances are not fun conversations to have. It's like walking into a doctor's office. How often are you walking into a doctor's office or a lawyer's office for a good thing? So no. there's already a lot That's... of anxiety coming in. So, you know, <laughs> th- there's a lot of that. I mean, yeah. I've got somebody who just reached out to me from across the country that said, I've been looking for an advisor who serves the LGBTQ plus community who is also part of the community, but you guys are very hard to find. There are not many mm-hmm. out there. No, I, and I, so if, if we can create a safe space where people mm-hmm. say, I don't want to have to ask, are you LGBTQ plus friendly? I'm almost outing myself before I even know you. And I have no idea how you're going to react. You could right. have a, you could say, I don't want, I don't work with that community or I'm not comfortable with that. And I've basically said, that's who I am though. And, and that now I'm feeling kind of rejected so if there is a way to adding adding to your pstd <laughs> yeah 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 exactly i mean right. and what's really interesting so the so the uh debt free guys in and the molly fool in their study it found that 55 percent of gay lesbian and, and bisexual people have been discriminated against in the financial oh. services 
industry, that number jumps up to almost 75% for trans people. And um, so again, are people reluctant to work with advisors or to talk to people about their money? Absolutely. Because because they've already seen some negative slant. But don't you think we could also put women in that category in some ways? Because I can't tell you the number of times that, you know, I've been in the office where I watched women were not listened to. They weren't asked the questions. They were not, you know, that that was a more male dominated uh, room, male dominated piece. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, right. I, there are a lot of women who are deci- financial decision makers or decision makers for the household to, to, to not consider that is, is an oversight. And if it's a matter of changing some language with how we're addressing people, um, Based on how they would like to be addressed, it's not that it's not that big of a lift, and it can make a, a world of difference. I think it's important. You and I are both CFP, Certified Financial Planner, designated, or, or earn the designation through all of our studies. One of the roles we play that I think is really important to explain, and, and there's a lot of advertising on this, which is, you know, the concept of fiduciary. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a little story there. One of my roles in my previous uh, uh, engagement was to help run all the marketing and sales and create a, a plan on our marketing and branding and uh, uh, the newsletter and everything. And I talked about the importance of fiduciary. And so one of the people that we had that was helping us do the writing is one of the, uh, was a really neat lady, uh, older, had been in the news media in her whole career, um, candid, also a client and said, uh, well, let me understand this. You know, fiduciary means you're going to do the right thing. I'm like, yeah. She said, so I don't think it's a good idea that you're telling people that you have to do the right thing because I'm, <laughs> as I gave you the money, I'm assuming you're going to do the right thing. So it actually <laughs> bothers me that you have to talk about this. Yeah. I, I fell out. I, I, yeah. I never thought of it like, you know, because we get so focused <laughs> in our own terminology in the industry. Right. Right. It's such a yeah. funny word, too. Fiduciary. Are you a fiduciary? Are I you mean, a fiduciary? And, uh, to have Explain to say, it. Yeah, Tell us I, what it I, is. I, yeah, I promise that I'm doing what's in your best interest. Again, like I would hope that anybody I'm working with would do that. Um, <laughs> so unfortunately, funny. that's not how the rules are set up. And so, no. uh, yeah. So, so it's people are shocked to, to learn that, yeah. right? They're shocked yeah. to learn that up until recently, we we didn't have to do what was in your best interest. Although yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of people in the industry, and I I I mean ninety. I don't know what the percentage is. Ninety-five percent do the right thing all the time. I don't know what the percentage of bad apples is, but yeah, absolutely. And it's and there's nothing. There's well, there's some people who are breaking laws and they're getting caught for it, which they should. But but you don't, you know, most of the time people are making decisions in their clients' best interest, and if they get paid for that for some of those decision making or or the products that they put people in, that is certainly not against the law. But it is good for people to know what they're paying the value they're getting for what they're paying for and to know how their advisory team is getting paid. That is, those are all valid Very questions important. that people can ask. It's a conflict of interest. Ask. You know, yeah. in, in the really wealthy families that we serve, the conflicts of mm-hmm. interest are very clearly spelled out. There's a lot of uh, legal ramifications to it. It's, it's, it's spread now throughout the industry, but for a very long time, you know, there was a question about how are you being compensated? And it sounds like a very simple question, but you would be shocked at the number of people that it's really conflict exists. There's a conflict that exists when they're trading the money 
actually mm-hmm. actually purchasing the stock, selling the stocks, or buying the private equity deal and getting paid by the private equity firm for placing the private equity deal. Or I mean, there. The, so the the way fees are being paid, it's it. I think it's so powerful to have that. Um, yeah, uh, and it's confusing, right? I mean, oh, totally confusing. It's, so it, it's it's confusing, and and it's nice to be structured in a way that when you're walking in the door, the way the firm is set up, you're already they're, clear. It's you're, they're already clear. You're already yeah. protected before you yeah. even start talking to us based on the way we're structured. And then, and that's, there are a lot of like people like that, but, but others that aren't, but it's just know to ask the right questions. And that's an easy Google search too. What questions should I be asking my advisory teams? You know, they, they are important and that matters for your, from, for, for everybody, for any income level, but also especially the wealthy families that you're working with and the family offices and the businesses of families It is crucial, especially if there's really complicated difficult family dynamics right. uh, that have that have been pervasive throughout either governance decision making or uh, generational dynamics and, and can, many times we see in kind of more of a patriarchal family office setting it can be really difficult to have some of these conversations so to align with some trusted advisors is going to be well and i also i also want to bring up a really important point that i think it's important for for our listeners who have the expectation that they may inherit money mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and but they have a great job and and they um they may have a habit of living in the moment meaning yep <laughs> beautiful armani sports coat or oh i i really like this little trip i'm going to run over to barcelona for the day, weekend so for the day for yeah and it's easy to do but do you know we do have some responsibilities here i i'm a believer that the money can disappear absolutely and the money may not get to you in the way that it's all originally planned and or the inheritance plan or the estate plan that you may be a benefactor to so wouldn't it be a good idea for us to create our own plan as well to have our own you know, yeah, backup back plan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you can't count on something that hasn't happened yet. Uh, mm-hmm. And and if if you do, you're setting yourself up or setting yourself up to potentially be be disappointed or completely caught off guard. So it is critical to make sure. You know, I, I encourage my clients to get with their estate attorney and and host family meetings with their attorneys and their families, even if it's not very complicated. But talking about these, the transition plan over time, it's certainly not a death wish. Talking about estate planning does not mean that you are going to die. Getting insurance today doesn't mean you're going to die tomorrow. Putting right. your seatbelt on doesn't mean you're going to get into a car crash. But of course, you want that airbag to be there if something does happen. You are protecting yourself and making sure that your estate work is in order. And and there are some, again, there are some priorities that need to be taken into consideration first. You know, wills, medical directives, powers of attorney. You know what I think we could um, do? Maybe we should create a list for everybody that we could attach to the podcast where we have just a, a little... Reference list, it's part of being a CFP anyway. I mean, there's just sort of some basic things that you want people to think about before they'd even call you or, you know, come see us. Right. So, yeah. Is there anything that you, that's a key moment or 
like aha moments in your work or that you've had? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's funny. I guess before I started in before I started in the world of advisory, while I was still, I, I kind of mentioned it before, but when I saw these people's lives change, when I was in those waiting mm-hmm. rooms and walking mm-hmm. past, and I mean, just devastated, and, and I felt like, you know what, I, I want to be there when people don't know what to do or who to hang on to at a time like this. At a time of big crisis, my family had gone through some things like that in our own past, and we really relied on our trusted network around us. And so that was so seeing that was really really critical. And actually, another point was when I when I already was an advisor, I was in my CFP review course, and we were almost at the tail end. As I was taking, as I was about to sit for my exam itself, that was nightmare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was brutal. It was the hardest test I ever took. But it was this moment where our teacher was saying, you know this, you deserve to pass this test. You've put in all of this time. You have a ton of clients that you're working with and who are trusting you and relying on you. And previously, I had some imposter syndrome, right? I felt like I needed to know everything. Um, What I've learned is that humility really creates trust. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know the answer to everything, that's okay. And anyway, sitting for this right before this test, I completely broke down. I was completely emotionally, mentally drained, sitting for one of the hardest tests, <laughs> a pivotal moment in my career. Oh my and uh, and I just felt like, you know what? I This is the confidence boost that I have been needing. I do feel qualified. I know what I'm talking about. And, and it feels good to then lean less on being technically perfect and instead connect to the person I'm talking to, because that's going to be the most important thing here. Amen. I think that's the number one part of this. I think we, we, uh, you know, the test for when I took, it was a day and a half, almost two days worth of tests. And then I remember one point I panicked because I couldn't calculate a mortgage. Now, Ren, mind you, I was running <laughs> the director of mortgage operation sales for Ayers Private Bank for years, and my family owns a mortgage company. So I'm like, okay, this is really I panic. That showed the anxiety <laughs> right. level we all have during that test. Yeah, um, yeah and yeah. I think there's a similar anxiety level for our clients when they come in to talk to us about their finances because they're really burying their soul. What what is it that yeah. you would like to say to the clients that you can't really say normally? What would you say um, to them if you couldn't because you can't maybe be able to say it when yeah. you normally meet? Yeah, I you know what I've I've really shifted, and this is something I do want to say to them, and I do say it when they come in the door. It's you are here for a reason. What are you bringing to me today? What is it that is top of mind that you are most concerned about? Let's address that fear, where it's coming from, why, and let's come up with a plan that makes sense. It, it, it's not. What is my solo 401k? Should I be structured as an S-corp? Am I taking the right deductions? It's usually a pivotal moment that has brought them to the table. Let's talk yeah. about how that's, that feeling first, and we'll figure out the, the technical piece later. You're so good. You're so good. You're so good. I, Patrice, don't you want to just call him every day? <laughs> you can. There is one thing that I want you guys to address in part two whenever you're going to do it Uh is is EQ. You guys talked about it very briefly, but Mm -hmm. Ben, I think you touched on several areas where a discussion of EQ versus IQ would be insightful. 
Yeah, yeah, I think we should do a follow-up. I think it'd be good to do another a follow-up yeah. podcast about some of the technical things about financial planning that are very helpful that we've all learned and mm-hmm. some of the tricks that we've learned. Like yeah. I would just like I was saying the hybrid life insurance. That that's actually relatively new and it's really ideal for all of us who are, you know, don't have children because who's going to help take care of us? And then, you know, what we're doing in this work is really helping families look at risk and make sure that we're organizing it in a way to, to be as efficient and help to mitigate risk and to help make sure there's liquidity when we need liquidity. I mean, Mm -hmm. Well, uh, and, and that peace of mind, I don't, I don't even know how we share or describe what that means for families when they feel that it's, yeah, it's pretty, and it's also distilling empowering. complex things down to something that's a lot more simple. I yeah. take that from my take that from my trauma days. I was yeah. advising surgeons on, on products to put into you know a broken, destroyed pelvis, right, from a car accident, and I have to explain that in very simple terms, not touching. Uh, anything in the OR to the scrub tech who may who English may be a second language for them. And so I am trying to communicate at very different levels. Yeah. And I brought that into my world here in financial planning Perfect. where I know what I'm talking about, but that but jargon doesn't help the person at the other on the other side of the table. How do you distill something complex into something much more simple? And you you know, can do that. Thank you very much for being with us today. You're so welcome. I've loved being here. Uh, I'm so energized. I love talking about this. I love talking to you and Patrice, and I look forward to doing it again. You're welcome back. We'll have you back soon. And uh, Patrice, would you like to help us bring it home? Sure will. But first, Tim, you've got to tell people how they can reach you and maybe Ben too. Sure. Sure. You can reach me through by, by way of email. That'd probably be best. My email is ben dot galloway that's b-e-n dot g-a-l-l-o-w-a-y at greenspringadvisors.com just as it sounds ben dot galloway at greenspringadvisors.com and please reach out i love and and if you can't remember all that just you can reach out to me and i'll happy to connect you at tim.volk at tvolko.com or uh, on our website uh, tvoco.com or if you want to just call us at 312-636-5855 you can thank you this has just been a delight yep all thanks right, all folks follow this podcast i tell you every time what why not there's so much in these podcasts just listen to ben share it with others too i'm patrice sakura and thanks for being with us thank you for listening to the rainbow bull podcast visit our website at www tvolco.com or give us a call at 312-636-5855 and don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of T. Volk and Company Consulting. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.